we have our guest joining us now, James Rosen, Chief White House Correspondent for Newsmax. He is an award-winning writer, best-selling historian, reporter for Fox News for nearly two decades. Um, and we've just been so excited about him coming on to talk about his new book, which is called Scalia, Rise to Greatness, 1936 to 1986. James, thanks for coming on. Stacy, you're kind to have me. I'm so glad you're here because one of my favorite subjects to read about is Justice Scalia. <laughs> so awesome. why did you decide to write this book about this 50-year period here? So the book uh, Scalia, Rise to Greatness, 1936-1986, just came out this week. Uh, it covers the first 50 years of Antonin Scalia's life. Uh, it ends with him taking his seat on the Supreme Court. So if we don't speak before then, I hope at least to rejoin you in about two and a half years, Stacey, uh, to promote volume two, oh, uh, the second gosh. and final volume of this biography, okay. uh, which will cover the justices' Supreme Court years. Um, I wrote this book because uh, I actually knew Justice Scalia a little bit. When I was 30 and had just come to Washington for the first time to be a Washington correspondent for Fox News back then, one of the first things I did was write to Justice Scalia and seek an interview. Uh, this commenced a two-year correspondence between us that was rather unusual and amusing and excerpts from which will also appear in the second volume we also had a pair of lunches one-on-one -on -one, just the two of us at his beloved av ristorante this is where justice scalia went it was his favorite italian restaurant on a dodgy part of uh, washington dc and the two of us drank wine together and he made me eat off of his plate i said mr justice i couldn't he says come on come on come on so now i'm shoveling vegetables off of Antonin scalia's <laughs> plate he drove me back to my office in his car, which was a scary experience, and I later confirmed with the classmates of his dating back to the 1950s and clerks into the 21st century that being a passenger in Justice Scalia's car was scary for them as well. Uh, <laughs> and I just resolved from those really early experiences where he was very generous that someday I would write about him. The contents of those lunches will remain off the record, but I will uh, write ab uh, about the lunches a, a little bit just in terms of atmospherics. And I will quote from our correspondence. What I found was that the two existing biographies of Justice Scalia, Stacey, were both uh, both were published while he was alive. Um, he uh, cooperated extensively with one of them, not at all with the other. And both came out in pretty much the same place, which is, say, openly contemptuous of the justice and his legacy, his jurisprudence, his conduct. And so this is the first book, Scalia Rise to Greatness, is the first biography of Antonin Scalia published since he died. It makes use of a vast array of documentary and personal sources that were either overlooked by or unavailable to the previous biographers. Uh, it's the most comprehensive treatment of his life. Uh, a lot of the critical jobs he had and uh, government service he performed long before he became a judge and a Supreme Court justice was very important for the country, but it was given very little review by his previous biographers. And I like to say, Stacey, this is the first accurate biography of Antonin Scalia because it's the first admiring biography of Antonin Scalia. Mm. All right. So it's it's so nice to hear you talk about him in those terms and to hear about your personal experiences with him, which I find those kinds of things fascinating because I always wonder what people are really like when they're, you know, mentally great, when they've contributed to the country in a great way, when their words and their thoughts that they write are so often quoted and used in different applications, even outside of his Supreme Court um, you know, opinions and, and the drafts and all of those things. 
But to hear you talk about him and, you know, him being a wild driver and <laughs> eating vegetables off his plate, I'm I'm totally hooked in. I just ordered the book on Amazon, which, by the way, it's overnight delivery, friends. So if you're interested, um, I always say go to Amazon. The book is available on Kindle, audiobook, hardcover, and audio CD for those of you who are old school and still put CDs in your CD player in your car when you're driving across the country. So the picture on the front is a picture of him in his much younger years, dark hair. You can tell he's very, very youthful in his appearance. And so you're talking about that first 50 years, which we don't often discuss. We usually refer to him and speak of him in his capacity as a Supreme Court justice. But this is different. You've gone back to the years that, well, I wonder about them, but I've never had anybody seem interested remotely in telling me what they were like. Um, So you're doing that. Oh, no. Have we lost him? James, can you still hear us? Oh, no. I think I think he might be dropping in and out. Can Nico, can you check and see if he can still hear us? Okay. Sometimes when we're having the most fantastic interview, this happens to us. The computer is against us or maybe the phone lines are against us. I don't know. Um, but we're going to see if we can get him right back here. So the book is a number one new release in the United States judicial branch. Um, it is by James Rosen. And the title is Scalia Rise to Greatness, 1936 to 1986. It's The hardcover is what I have here that I just ordered. Um, okay, perfect. James, can you hear me? I do hear you. I'm so sorry about okay. this. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's the wor- um, it's working against us because we're talking about a great man, and I'm fascinated. So, okay, so tell us, so, tell yeah, us so his more. His father was an Italian immigrant who came to this country speaking English uh, and um, only with $400 in his pocket and who made of himself a renowned professor of Romance languages. Uh, Scalia's mother was herself the daughter of Italian immigrants, and she became a school teacher. They were devout Catholics, and this book, Scalia, Rise to Greatness, really treats in greater depth and intimacy than any previous account um, the, the wellsprings of Scalia's Catholicism and how it fueled his rise to greatness. From his immersion in the Catholic Church with its foundational texts and the liturgy of the Church, and from his father, who, as a translator of languages, was always very wary of uh, how translation could be used to distort an original text. And from his mother, the school teacher, from whom he learned grammar and, and other important matters uh, relating to composition and draftsmanship, Scalia emerged as a young man with this profound Catholic faith and also this deep reverence for sacred texts, this belief that certain texts should not be monkeyed with. Uh, and he carried that forward all the way into his, his work as a, as a judge an appellate court judge, and then as a Supreme Court justice, his championing of the philosophy of originalism, that there's no such thing as a living constitution, which liberals like to talk about, that the constitution should be allowed to expand as necessary to take account of new phenomena. Scalia stood athwart all that. He said the way we interpret the constitution as judges and the way we interpret every law that's been passed since is that we should adhere to the original meaning of the text that was voted on by the people's representatives and signed into law by the people of the president that was elected. Um, if we go about looking at old statutes or the Constitution and saying, well, its meaning should evolve, it should be larger, it should be elastic because of what we're dealing with today, then in essence you're going back in time and you're stealing the liberty and the freedoms and the, and the, the uh, consent for self-governance 
that these previous generations enjoyed. What if we pass a law right now with a specific text and a specific meaning, and 10 years from now, some people come along and say, well, it should actually mean this. So Scalia tried to return that power from the judiciary to the people, but it began with this reverence for text, which is rooted in Catholicism and the examples of his parents. Wow. Okay, so he had he comes from a fascinating family. He himself was fascinating and he's had fascinating children. So this is a it's a it's a familial legacy instead of a dynasty of power or, you know, power seeking or, or money grubbing or grifting. Instead, it's an intellectual dynasty that passed on hard work ethic and, and so many other gifts that really seem to have been poured out within their community and later through him through the nation. That's a very astute um, observation, this idea of an intellectual dynasty. Of course, one of, uh, of Scalia children became uh, a cabinet official. Another of the Scalia children became a decorated soldier. Another of the Scalia children became a priest. I interviewed four of the Scalia's nine children for this book. And just since we're talking about the family, this is a perfect time to bring up uh, the person who's been described as the true hero of the book, aside from Scalia himself, and that's his wife of 55 years, Maureen Scalia, the mother of his nine children, who raised those nine children, according to the justice himself, with very little assistance from him. Uh, and as Jean Scalia said to me, this is the oldest of the, of the justices' sons, a uh, prominent attorney in his own right, uh, former Trump cabinet official, he said, you're writing a book about my dad. I can name some other important Supreme Court justices. But I don't think I can name anyone else who pulled off what my mom managed to do. Uh, Maureen Scalia made Antonin Scalia's triumphs possible. And again, this relationship between uh, Nino and Maureen Scalia is uh, explored in greater intimacy and depth in this book, Scalia Rise to Greatness, than in any other previous account. Uh, one thing I'd like to mention is the sheer, the vast array of new documents that were made available uh, for this book that have never appeared elsewhere. I'll give you three quick examples. One is, uh, in 1992, in his Supreme Court chambers, Justice Scalia uh, conducted a secret oral history with a woman who was an attorney that he had known for some time who served as the interviewer. And he looked back over his entire life, and it's a very lengthy document, uh, and it had never been unsealed until 2018. So this biography, Scalia Rise to Greatness, is the first to make use of the secret Scalia oral history. We have his FBI files, which were declassified after his death, uh, and he underwent four background checks by the FBI within 14 years as he rose through the executive and judicial branches. And most of us would not want to be subjected to an FBI background check. Uh, the vast machinery of the, of the nation's preeminent law enforcement agency was cranked up into gear with agents fanned out across the country, interviewing people who had known Scalia from every phase of his life, dating back to when he was 13 in 1949. And not a single morsel of derogatory information was turned up for the simple reason that none existed. Scalia lived an exemplary life. And then the last category of new documents I'd like to bring to your attention is we're all familiar with the celebrated friendship between Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia when they broke, served on the Supreme Court for 23 terms together. Uh, they were famously ideological foes on the law, but the best of friends with their spouses, ringing in New Year's, going to the opera together, traveling to India, and riding elephants together. This book, Scalia, Rise to Greatness, uh, looks at the four years that Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia spent as judges together on a lower court, the Court of Appeals. 
for the District of Columbia Circuit, which is one rung below the Supreme Court and often described as the second most powerful court in America. And from 1982 to 86, before either of them went to the Supreme Court, there were judges on this panel together. And I rooted through Ruth Bader Ginsburg's 223 boxes of papers at the Library of Congress and came up with the handwritten notes, the letters, the memos, the correspondence, the draft opinions that flew back and forth between the chambers of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia when they served on the Court of Appeals together. These papers, I call them the RBG Nino papers. They've never been published before. And they capture these two geniuses of the law debating with each other over the First Amendment and other issues coming before them as judges. They capture their sparkling wit, but it really also chronicles the birth and the blossoming of this famous celebrated friendship uh, as it's never been seen before. Wow. Okay. So fascinating. And I just, I want to point out to our listeners who are riveted by this as I am, that the book is, this is the first half, it's 500 pages. So we're talking about a very sizable look at at 50 years. I mean, obviously it would be difficult to do it in less than 500 pages, talking about such a lengthy uh, length of time. But I guess I just, I'm, I'm dying, James, to ask you if there's something some kind of quaint fact or something that that we might find shocking and I know there may be more than one of these items in the book but is there one that immediately comes to mind that you would like to share with us because you've shared so much that's fascinating but I just I'm kind of wondering about that well again uh the 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 first 50 years of Scalia's life uh the other biographers who put out books about him really either skipped over important areas of his life um, or construed or interpreted or put on the other parts of his life where they did treat the subject matters uh, the most tendentious construction. Um, And my view is that Scalia was an American hero. Um, And one aspect of this book that um, where we really, again, benefit from a wealth of new documents are the two jobs that he held in government before he became a judge. In 1970, when he was about 35 years old, Scalia was hired as the very first general counsel to a new agency that had been created by the Nixon administration called the White House Office of Telecommunications Policy. And this was an attempt by the White House, quite sensible really, to bring under administrative control of one central entity the sprawling policies relating to telecommunications, which people were starting to recognize in the early 70s, was going to be taking off as a major new area of technological innovation. And we have now, thanks to my work in the archives, uh, all of Scalia's papers from this time in the early 70s, and his drafts and his letters and his opinions and his handwritten notes. And way back in 1971, Scalia was writing about the future computer society, and he predicted the Internet. He predicted the remote terminals that users would use to do their banking and have hundreds of TV channels. He predicted the privacy concerns that would arise as well. The other job was as the assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel at the Department of Justice. It's an unwieldy title. It basically means he's the president's lawyer's lawyer. The assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel dispenses written legal opinions that are binding for everyone in the executive branch as to what is lawful and unlawful for for a given administration to try doing. Uh, It got to the point where even covert operations were being run past Antonin Scalia for approval because it was the post-Watergate era. And one story that's never been published anywhere else 
is that on the afternoon of April 30, 1975, um, Scalia received a call from the Ford White House saying, can you give us a legal opinion within, within the next few hours as to whether it would be lawful under the War Powers Act for us to use helicopters to land on the roof of the, our embassy in Saigon and evacuate our personnel because Saigon was falling that very day. It's kind of a cameo appearance by Antonin Scalia in the fall of Saigon. And he did provide the opinion that said it was lawful. But he said, and again, this, this account has never been published anywhere else, uh, what if I didn't approve of the operation? Would they have called it off on the advice of counsel? What is the world coming to? Uh, there's all kinds of revelations in this book about Scalia's career uh, and the importance of his career before he became a judge. And all of it builds toward uh, his eventual destiny to shape American law into the 21st century. The book ends with Scalia taking his seat on the Supreme Court. <sighs> okay, so this is fascinating. And so I'm not going to lie to you, James. This is a book that once you have the second book out, it it's the kind of book that before wokeness and kind of the political divide and politics becoming everything, including breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Hollywood would have been salivating and chomping at the bit to write uh, a screenplay to adapt this book into a movie because it covers an enormous span of time, many different phases of the American life, and very consequential moments in the history of this country, not just political, but cultural touchstones. All of those things are in, in within the span of uh, Justice Scalia's birth and then his death and his impact on all of those things. Um, maybe it'll be the Daily Wire. Maybe there's still hope that we could get a movie out of a book like what you've written and then the second part. Um, I, I hope to speak to you again well many times before you actually have the second book out, but it has been such a pleasure to have you to join us tonight and explain just a part of what you've written and the research that's gone into it. So fascinating. I already have mine. I'm, I'm going to have my book tomorrow. Um, I already ordered on Amazon. It's going to be here Thank in the morning. Thank you, Stacey. I just <laughs> want to emphasize this is a book for non-lawyers. This is written deliberately, as Scalia used to write his own opinions, for what they call lay readers, so that you don't have to be a lawyer to understand it. And there's, there's given Scalia's personality, his wit, his larger-than-life persona, there's lots of moments when you read this book and you just need stitches laughing. Mm -hmm. So I hope uh, folks will check it out uh, and, and come to learn about an American hero uh, and someone who really was one of the most important Americans of the last 100 years, Antonin Scalia. Yeah, and I want to say thank you to you because the point that you made at the very outset of this interview, that you've written a book in an admiring fashion, one that truly looks at all of the things he did from the position of someone who's reporting and respecting as opposed to tearing down, um, that is so important for us to have that kind of Well, you know, effort. here in this case, the good news was the real hidden story. Wow. All right. It's been so great to have you here. I was so excited. I can cross you off my list of people I've always wanted to interview, and now you've been here. Um, and I hope kind. to talk to you again soon. Um, I, we always see you on Newsmax, and we love your reporting. Um, obviously, thank you. And also, have a wonderful evening and, and weekend. Stacy. thanks so much for having me. All right. Have a wonderful night. James Rosen is Chief White House Correspondent for Newsmax, and his book, Scalia, Rise to Greatness, 1936 to 1986, is available to you everywhere books are sold, but the fastest place is Amazon. If you like listening, he also has the Audible there for you. So uh, we'll be back with more Stacey on the right after this.